The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... Early on, I wanted to get that question in, is am I still going to be able to play football? And as an eight-year-old, that was all most about. important thing. It was the most important thing. <laughs> yeah. As an eight-year-old, you're, the, the simple thing is, can I still do the thing that I wake up every morning wanting to do? But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Welcome back to the Insulone Podcast with myself, your host, Owen Costello. Delighted you're here to join me again. And if you are tuning in for the first time, be sure to go back and listen to every single episode to get the full experience. But until then, I have two bits of good news. The first, Graham isn't on this episode, which I'm sure we're all going to be delighted about. And the second is... I have an amazing guest you're going to love, and I've no doubt that you'll be finishing this episode with a lot more information to fill your diabetic toolbox with. So I have a simple quote from his bio that I found today that I think says a lot about who he is and what he's doing, and that is changing the perception of diabetes. So strangely enough, my guest is another type 1 diabetic. He's had diabetes for over 21 years. He is the creator of the Diabetes Football Community, which is an organization that has been developed to support the needs of diabetics who share a passion for football, like the two of us. He became a Wales Futsal International in 2016 and called into the England University's Futsal Squad in 2018. From there, he was awarded the Male Athlete of the Year and has had continued success and played in the European Championships for people living with diabetes. He has a degree in sports studies and completed a master's degree on type 1 diabetes and how stigma impacts members of our community. Joining me from Redditch, I've just been told, <laughs> in the UK, Mr. Chris Bright. Chris, thanks a million for joining us. No, thanks very much for having me, Owen. Absolute pleasure. Did I uh, did I get all those details all right? You've absolutely bigged me up there. I hope <laughs> I can live up to it in some way on this podcast now. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I was watching a video of you playing football earlier on, and it was like a Welsh diabetic Ronaldo. 
<laughs> playing football. <laughs> have, <laughs> have you always been that quick, skillful, annoying player for defenders to mark? I would say so, mate. Yeah, I think that's what I grew up wanting to play. Like the things, that, the people that inspired me as a as a kid, uh, with and without diabetes, because. I had uh, a passion for the sport before my diabetes came along. And um, yeah, everything that inspired me was about looking at people that were tricky, skillful, um, and created things. I wanted to be a bit more of a, a maverick, if you like, of the, of, the, of the pitch. And that was the thing that drew me in. So I practiced a lot at technique, tricks, skills, all of those sorts of things. And um I was always that annoying player as, as I grew up of um, trying to ghost past people, trying to make things happen, make chances, score goals, do tricks. That that was always me, yeah. And uh, yeah. lucky enough, I suppose, still sort of doing it now, even as I approach a, a rather large milestone, let's call it that. But for somebody who's listening who doesn't know what futsal is, what is it, Chris? Yeah, so futsal is the FIFA sort of accredited version of five-a-side football so the official version if you like um it's played indoor generally on a court uh 40 meters by 20 meters and the the ball doesn't really bounce too much and it's a size four so it's got a reduced bounce Uh, it's played into hockey size goals and uh it's roll on roll of substitutions and it takes a lot of its rules from sort of basketball handball and then obviously football or the fact that we're you know we're kicking the ball and um, it's a really fast-paced game with so many bits of action going on, lots of chances on goal. And then it generally does play into the fact that a lot of the players are quite technical, um, good with both feet and quite intelligent. I like to think of the players that play are generally the ones that are all-rounded because the speed of the game, you need to be able to attack and defend well because one minute you can be going forward at 100 mile an hour and then the next minute you've got to turn, go back and start defending all over again. And and doing that in transition and at the speed that's required is, is really difficult. So, um, yeah, it's kind of that all-rounded footballer's sort of sport. I knew you were playing 11-a-side football semi-professionally. When did you kind of make the shift from full-size 11-a-side into the futsal? So that was around 2013, 2014 was the first time I'd ever played the sport. Um, up until that point, I'd always been an 11-a-side player with with those sort of attributes that we talked about in terms of like being technical, wanting to make things happen relatively quick, etc. And then I, I had the opportunity to play and I'd heard of futsal and um, somebody said to me, the way you play football would really suit the game of futsal. And I'd... And I'd always wanted to play. And then the opportunity came up in, in Birmingham, close to where I, where I live. And um, there was an indoor futsal arena. I went there, joined the local club, uh, played my first season, which was the, first, which was, um, the top tier at the time of, uh, of futsal in, in England, uh, playing for a club called Birmingham Tigers. And uh, yeah, we did really well that season. We got to the FA Cup finals, played at the Copper Box in the Olympic Park. Um, survived the relegation battle that we were in quite comfortably um, and I won player of the season so it was like it was like the sport I was trying to find um, that really suited all of the things that I'd worked hard at 
And um, I picked it up really quickly because I think I'd had those attributes that made it quite an easy transition for me into the sport. I'm always fascinated by, I'm going to be touching on diabetic stuff now. Right. I'm always. That's what we're here for. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's what the people want to hear. (laughs) I'm, I'm always fascinated by people's mindset around things and particularly how people deal with a seemingly negative event, incident or situation and then turn it into a positive. That's obviously something you have done. You know, you were diagnosed back in 99, if I'm correct. Yeah. At the age of eight. That's obviously very different to me because I was 19 when I was diagnosed and had kind of passed my childhood and teen years. I know what was going through my head as a 19-year-old. What was going through your head, if you can remember, getting diagnosed? I think it was quite simple. There's a, a really simple starting point because at that age, you're, you're, whatever you love doing day to day, for me it was football, um, is one of your first things on your mind. You're the first, but preceding that really was actually seeing my parents get upset and it was my mum at the moment of diagnosis, which shocked me into this isn't good at all. And um, she got quite upset in the GP uh, surgery. And then I was on the back foot as an eight-year-old. You know when your parents are getting upset about you that something's really drastically wrong. And um, mm. I did know at that point. But then it was a case of early on, I wanted to get that question in, is, am I still going to be able to play football? And and, <laughs> and, and, and as an eight-year-old, that was all The most important thing. It was the most important <laughs> yeah. As an eight-year-old, you're... The, the simple thing is, can I still do the thing that I wake up every morning wanting to do? And it, for me at that age, it was football. And um, I was lucky, you know, the language that was used, the terminology of the um, healthcare professionals around me at that time was good. And and they really helped me in believing that this, this wasn't going to get in the way. And um, if I'd have had a different start, and I've heard many a story about different starts and different language that's been used by healthcare professionals, then maybe that wouldn't have been such an easy transition. But then I think, you know, learning at that starting point, uh, I was on mixture insulin, which if anybody listening has has been on that, that can really create such an interesting uh life because actually the variability in in managing that whilst doing finger prick testing with no cgm was Mm. uh, it was tough and it really took a hit on my ability to play football if we're honest i think for about four years five years while i was on that stuff one week i'd be good the next week i'd be awful and nobody would understand why i knew why my parents knew why we never went around saying oh it's because he's diabetes we never use it as an excuse and um that is probably then the starting point of the mindset thing around how we approached it as a family. My mum is of the of the belief and would still say now that she'd just say, you've got to go out and do do you. You've got to go and be what you want to be. And, and obviously she pushed me. And then you've got my dad who probably on the other hand is a bit more cautious and a bit more protective of it would be the the, the one that really helped manage it. But having the two of them in almost in different camps in the way that we looked at the condition meant that I was probably quite well protected, but also had this go out and get them attitude and, and this don't let it defeat you sort of view of, of, of living with type one diabetes. And it was um, all of that really in those early days when it was really tough. And um, I think you do that alongside the fact that, and I don't know how you feel about it as well, Owen, but I think when you get diagnosed 
earlier, there's a lot more chance of kids not understanding and maybe coming across as more stigma and more prejudice at a young age. And I think that's shaped an awful lot the way I think and deal with the condition or have dealt with the condition to a certain point. Because I don't know whether you've you know experienced too much of that as a being diagnosed a little bit later or, or not. Yeah, I think I'd been through my school years already. So I didn't have to feel different in a sense going into school, having to inject myself, check my blood sugar, do all the things that we have to do. And a few of the guests that I've had on here specifically have said that that sort of adjustment from a quote unquote normal child to a diabetic child, specifically in school, has been so difficult. And I have a quote from you here. It says, as a teenager, it's not easy to live with something that makes you different. The biggest challenge of a hidden disability is people not understanding it and the isolation that comes with it. So did you feel that obviously you had a great support system with your mom and dad, but do you feel that it kind of took you a longer time to grow into it in terms of how we both understand how isolating it can be at times. But how did you kind of settle into that different mindset needed for it? I think I took the battle on on my own for a very long time. Um, if we wouldn't be having this conversation four years ago, I, for 17 years out of these 21 years I've lived with it, I didn't talk about it. I, I didn't share anything to do with living with type 1 diabetes. People would walk People have been into my life. I remember actually coming across somebody recently um, in the last few years and said, I spent two years with you at school and I never knew you had type 1 diabetes. So that kind of says how I approached it for a long time was that I probably masked a lot of the pain and a lot of the challenge around it by just burying myself in trying to be good at football. And um, and, and that was, I, I used it probably as a coping mechanism um to mask the fact that I wasn't comfortable with living with type 1 diabetes I'd had a lot of comments as a kid still to this day have stigmatized comments from people in sport even in the last year in the last season I've had three different comments on three different occasions where people have referred to me as a drug addict or to take them to take the mickey out of me in a sporting environment so I think there's something in it to be said about how sport views medical conditions and when you're trying to push in a particular direction I think it'd be you know interesting to speak uh, openly with some of the footballers that are out there professional athletes with type 1 diabetes to, to hear their views and see if there are different cultures in different sports and you know that's been something that's been really important to me in the last few years as I've come um, come full circle now to really talk about it but for that very starting point I felt for 16 years, I had to hide it. I felt that the only way through managing type 1 diabetes was to tackle it on my own, um, to do the best I could and to blend in plain sight and to sort of just try and be like everybody else, have this challenge in the background and make sure it never stopped me. And, you know, obviously I did relatively well with that, but there were occasions where that hasn't, you know, as a, as a young adult, when you, you know, you go and do maybe go out drinking and things like that, where that's not a, a great mindset to, to sort of tackle it with. But, you know, I'm still still here now and sort of hopefully being able to look back on that with some experience to try and uh, hopefully guide other people in a slightly different direction. Well, yeah, you're you're obviously 
a master of your own diabetes now at this stage, you know, and it obviously hasn't stopped you from doing anything. So it's always reassuring for people to hear that firsthand from you, Chris. You openly are saying how difficult you found it, how difficult physically and mentally and emotionally you found it. And now it's a positive part of you. You play for diabetic football teams you've set up this community and you're always speaking it loud <clears throat> excuse me didn't i tell you didn't <laughs> you i did. tell you you said it was gonna <laughs> crack at some point <laughs> i told you i knew it and you're always speaking it loudly for people to hear so it's great what i wanted to ask you and i hear it so often how you know exercise can potentially be dangerous for diabetics it's such a massive part of managing our diabetes and an irreplaceable tool to keep our blood sugar steady. But it can also be a really daunting time for people. You know, the thought of, oh, Jesus, like, I'm going to go out for a run. My blood sugar is going to drop. I'm going to pass out. I'm going to have to call an ambulance. Like it, you have these sometimes irrational fears around going to the gym or going for a walk or going for a run. What do you feel exercise has done for you and continues to do for you in relation to your diabetes management like you said owen it's a huge part of um a man as a management tool it actually plays a part in every day for me and in the way that i look at my glucose levels um so for example earlier i was slightly high went out for a jog brought them back into range so there's a you know there's a way of managing it for me using exercise it doesn't always mean that I have to be injecting insulin to bring my levels back down. But there's that whole piece of understanding which um, types of exercise are going to move your blood glucose levels in different directions. So for for example, a football match, you know, I'm gonna I know I'm gonna go up ever so slightly to begin with because of the adrenaline surge, the nerves before the game. But then I know that as soon as that sort of kicks out in the first 10 minutes, because, you know, as soon as you, like you, like you know, Owen, you know, you get into the game, nerves disappear then because you're in the moment, you're playing. Mm. And then all of a sudden, it just starts to tail off then. So I know at half time, I need to make it have a good look at the glucose levels, the direction they're taking, because I know the second half, they're just going to be dropping, dropping, dropping. But that all comes from experience, trial and error. And then with the futsal, I know it's the whole game, it's, pr- it's pretty much going to go up spiking because the intensity is just insane and the fact is i have to inject insulin just to try and keep my levels in a somewhere where i can play a a sort of range that i'm happy with so and then obviously there's a big crash at the end where i'm like whoa all of a sudden we need to get some some glucose in here but again i'm always thinking how much how much time have i played you know on a futsal course roll on roll off if i haven't played that many minutes actually the spike it's probably just going to stay there. I'm probably just going to stay high. But if I've played lots of minutes, that drop's going to be massive. And it's the same with football. You know, if you come on as a substitute in the second half, actually how much impact is 20 minutes going to have on your glucose levels versus a full 90? But these are all things that come from trial and error. And I think the biggest thing in all of the approach to exercise is starting. And starting for me is about mindset. And I always look at, because you're going to make a mistake at the start you, you're going to, and you're going to make several mistakes throughout the <laughs> yeah. whole time that you're going to be trying to attack exercise and physical activity and several doesn't even cut it. You know, it's going to be hundreds, isn't it? Across the years that we live with type one. And Still um, now, and still I, now still, we see them. You know? I mean, I, I make them all the time. I'm just trying to think if I've got, I can't think of one off the top of my head recently, but the way that I try and see it 
and I, t- I use this analogy a lot is I try and see a mistake as a bad pass because if I saw the mistake as a bad pass, I'm not going to give up playing the sport or I'm not going to stop playing football because of one bad pass. I'm just going to chalk it off in my mind and go, what am I going to learn about that bad pass? Oh, there was a dodgy divot in front of me or, or, um, or I played it too softly or the direction was poor. I'm going to learn something from it and then I'm going to try and implement that the next time around. And actually, that's a re- I like it as a way of looking at our diabetes because you can do the same thing. What went wrong? Okay. Did I deal with it? I coped with it. And then what can I do next time around to try and avoid that happening again? Because there's clues. There's always clues that are left with us after every incident of or time that we go out to do some physical activity and exercise. I'm sure you've probably got some uh, something in your mindset that in the same way, Owen. Yeah, it's it's funny when I speak to you, it's like talking in a mirror or something because <laughs> everything you say is just exactly how I feel around exercise. It's so, so, so important. And that analogy about making a bad pass is just perfect for it because there's no end goal. There's no finish line with diabetes. It's just the same with exercise and fitness and playing sport. There's no time where it ends. It's just going to keep going and keep going and keep going. So you need to constantly analyze everything you do. Constantly have your diabetic hat on and think, you know, if my blood sugar drops here, it spikes here. Why did that happen? And if you have the ability to kind of always be clued in and look at your numbers and look at your day and your week and see what happened here, why did that happen here? When you ask yourself questions like, why did that happen? How did that happen? What can I do to change and avoid it the next time? That's how you make improvements each day. Definitely. It's like you be, become your own analyst. You start analyzing everything that you need to know and want to know to get better. And when I say get better, it's not always about high performance. It's about enjoyment as well. So getting greater enjoyment out of your exercise. But obviously, I look at it through a lens of I need it to be in a good place to perform well. But I think there's a whole part of it as well where you go away and you question what's happened and you do your research. You know, for me, I I learned a lot from doing my undergraduate uh, dissertation on the the difference in intensities of exercise and their effect on blood glucose levels in people that were diabetic and non-diabetic. So that was my version of actually learning on the job of getting my degree to help me go forward knowing more as I entered into sort of my um, wanting to play part-time football. Of course, you need to have a foundation of knowledge to understand why certain things may happen and what to expect and what to anticipate. But it's that constant sense and constant need of trial and error because our days typically will be the same. You know, we might go to work, we might go to the gym, we might go for a run, we'll have lunch at the same time, we'll have dinner at the same time. But things in between that can change. Our mood can change. We might be more stressed. We might wake up late. Don't wake up with the alarm. Just have a coffee for breakfast. These are all things that are going to affect our blood sugar. And the readings that we see is almost just like an accumulation of all those daily activities and events. For people who are listening, and I know there's people that listen, and even for myself, when I go out to the gym or I go out for a run or I go to play sport there's obviously it's almost like a pre-match routine 
what's your pre-match routine or pre-training routine to be confident going in that diabetes isn't going to get in my way here? Yeah, it's interesting. You were talking there about all the different things that affect glucose levels. I was just thinking what you get better at is being adaptable because if you've developed all of this knowledge over a period of time. And I think that really comes into its fore as well with the pre-match or the pre-gym routine is that you have all of this knowledge of uh, how I should adapt to the certain situation or what I'm going to go and tackle. So in my mind, the things that tend to run through what I'm going to do to prepare is things like bolus. So my bolus, I want out of the way. I want I know my Nova Rapid is two or three hours. So if my game kicks off at three, I'm going to be trying to get my bolus in around for lunch, for example, about midday. And I'm also going to try and get another, my breakfast in again with a three hour gap. I don't want insulin, short term insulin crossing over each other, especially on game day, because I know that that could potentially drive me in towards a, a hypo. I tend to try any similar food on game day. Not too much carbohydrate again because that adds variability in there. Sort of somewhere in the middle, and uh, always I'm, I always go into the game prepared. Um, I'm lucky now I use CGM so I can check constantly. But when I was fingerprint testing, I'd fingerprint test before I got in the car, when I got to the match, <laughs> when I was about to go and warm up, after the warm up, ten minutes before kickoff, and then literally go out, then come back in at half time and do it. And all of the time, just trying to get a sense of which direction it was going in and, and, and what I would need to do to continually manage that that match so I could play well. And um, I always have fast-acting glucose, normally in a drink form and tab sort of tabs, um, as well as my insulin available all the time. I actually now starting to trial um, not using Nova Rapid completely all of the time, but actually using Fiasp to react to sport. Because FIAS, um, you may know Owen as, as well as the listeners, reacts much quicker than Nova Rapid. So it might be able to help me adjust to those situations where I might need to bring it down more quickly, especially in futsal when the game's so fast-paced and I'm in and out of it and my levels are just shooting up and I need to get a hold of them. So it's things like I always think it's just about being really prepared and having a bit of a set routine, like you said beforehand, and, and, and a good idea of, the direction that your glucose levels are going to head in. Would you notice a massive difference with your blood sugar with playing, you know, the intense, the, the intensity of futsal compared to a full 90 minutes? Would you have a different way of preparing for that? Because I'm kind of relating that to how I would prepare for, say, going to the gym and using weights where I will typically see a spike compared then to going out for a run where could be out I could be running for just 30 minutes but it's always going to be coming down so do you do you prepare differently for the two similar preparation in terms of food prep bolus time uh organized in terms of what I've got around with me the only difference being that before I go out to warm up with futsal I have to have an a unit or two units depending on where my glucose levels are of short acting insulin because I just know that it's going to shoot up now sometimes again it's difficult isn't it because some games matter more in your mind and you've created even more (laughs) you've created even more nerves than you really want to so therefore the levels are going to shoot even higher so it's really difficult but I tend to go with 
if my levels were say um, five, six millimoles, um, I'm not sure what that would convert to, but very close. The, let's see. I'll just calculate that so people aren't lost. You said six. Yeah. So roughly one oh eight. So if it so was, that that's where you want to be anyway. Just kind of yeah, going absolutely. Today. But I would need to. I would at least have one unit. If it was any higher, if it was say eight millimoles, um, then I'm going to be needing two units, and then I'm going to be judging: do I need any more after the warm up? How are my nerves dealing with it? And then it tends to because there's some short acting insulin on board them throughout the game. Actually, it doesn't. It's it's sort of. I think it probably stops it in its tracks, shooting up drastically. Even though I've got high intensity short stints on the court. It sort of, I don't know, it sort of reacts with it and sort of stops it. It gives it a bit of a ceiling where it doesn't shoot any higher than, I hope, to not have it any higher than sort of 12. And then then obviously it starts crashing back down again. So, um, yeah, it's a real challenging one. But because futsal so stop-start, it's actually quite good for people with type 1 because you go on, you play your stint, you come off, you check where your levels are, and you can then adapt to that with if you need to take on glucose because you're dropping or you can take on some insulin because you're still shooting up high. So it's quite a, 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 from that perspective, it's actually a great sport for to choose for someone with type 1 diabetes. So you tend to have a similar sort of map in terms of the lead up to playing sport and then obviously adjust it based on your day and your blood sugar, depending on where it's at. So you're going to adjust the food that you eat, the insulin that you take prior based on your previous readings in the morning so I, and I suppose that's similar to me it's it's you can have an idea of what you need to do but of course you need to be willing to adapt at basically any time absolutely you have that idea in your mind that roadmap that um that plan whatever you want to call it of how you're going to approach it you look at your levels and you go ah plan's gone out the window hasn't it and or (laughs) or something happens and you know maybe you've forgotten one of the 900 million things that can affect your blood glucose levels for that day and it's that's the thing that's caught you out you know it could be you know i had it with the weather this summer it was boiling hot caught me out i hadn't had boiling hot weather where i played football for such a long time and literally caught me out so you go in with the best intentions with all of that knowledge that you've gleaned over years, but you still make mistakes and, and we just learn from it. And then you gives you a reminder then and you go, I'm not going to forget that one next time. I'm not going to forget mm. that how the heat caught me out this time. And um, yeah, and you have this idea that you've built up through experience through that trial and error, but you've got to have that ability to flex and know how to flex in particular situations. I remember when <laughs> when I was initially diagnosed, I was obviously playing football and I was playing 11 aside. And like most diabetics out there, the fear of going low during exercise or during sport or whatever, or at any time is just, it's always on your mind and that's just what you want to avoid. So I obviously hadn't learned all the things that I know now and didn't know about my body and my own diabetes. So I used to be at the sideline before games, nearly eating full packets of glucose tablets just to be sure that my, that my bloods don't drop. And I think it's that added bit of stress around exercise because when we exercise, we're at the gym or we're playing sport or running, 
you know, our heart rate is increased. We might, might be sweating. We could be dizzy depending on the type of training and intensity that we're doing. And all of those can be, I suppose, almost dismissed as just as a result of your playing sport, but they can also be signs and symptoms of highs or lows. So that can kind of be more dangerous too, because you might think, ah, I'm just, I'm just playing sport. It's not really a high. It's not really a low. So with how prepared and well managed you are, have you ever had any bad incidents playing sport? Um, I've had instances where I've had to get subbed off, which is probably as bad as it's ever got. Um, not situations where I've needed to help or anything like that, where it's gone really badly wrong, but situations where, as you described there so well, going to the sideline needing so many tablets, you can't even take the taste of them anymore. <laughs> and all of the, yeah. all of the Lucas aid in, you know, in the, in the shop. And, um, I've had situations where, like that where the heat maybe has caught me out. Um, I had one actually probably a couple of years ago where I'd played three games in the same week and I played full 90 minutes and it was into a Saturday. So I think I played Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday because the weather was so we were playing catch up with matches and I played Thursday night, 90 minutes. And then I was down to start again on the Saturday and I played the Tuesday night and the Saturday before. And my legs, I, I, I almost knew, but I tried to prepare in the same way. And um, I, my body would just, there wasn't enough stores left. And I could just, I could just feel it. I was at hypo, after hypo, after hypo. I played the first 45 minutes and I was, I was constantly asking um, my dad to chuck on the glucose tabs. Bearing in mind, this is a game where... Onto the pitch. Onto the pitch, yeah. I've had, <laughs> There's been many times where I've asked for the glucose tablets be t- to be thrown on. This is probably more uh, pre-CGM, probably five years ago, six years ago, just to throw them on and get me to get three tablets in my mouth. Sometimes you can get away with it when you're on the wing. Oh, and as you know, sometimes the ball's going down the other side. So you, you can, yeah, for, five minutes, break. Yeah, for five <laughs> minutes, you've got a break. So you're just jogging up and down gently and it's not really coming your way. And, um, yeah, so sometimes I've had I've had to do that, and that's happened. You know, not not just once or twice, and and unfortunately happened uh, hypos more regularly than hypers. But I can remember actually a situation in a cup final where it was a really big one. It was um, playing at one of the big one of the professional grounds, so it was playing at Walsall. We got to the cup final, playing against my old club. And I'd built it up too much. And the nerves, and I said the nerves, the nerves, um, excitement, whatever it was, I couldn't get my levels down. And I played the first half at 15 millimoles, which again is probably well over 200 in mm. in, um, yeah. in the other converted version. And um, literally, I just felt like I was treading water. So again, had to be brought off in the second half in that game because I just I had no energy. So... I've never had it to a point where it's it's really caught me out to a place where you think it's I'm going to pass out or anything like that. But I've been caught out where it's affected my performance. And for me, being in an environment a lot of the time where I'm desperate to get a really good performance out of myself, that's quite frustrating. And that's happened. Mm. And I think that comes within the, the territory of, of trying to play it at a good level where you're trying to constantly manage something that, which sometimes is really, really difficult to predict and manage. Yeah. It's interesting that you say 
the cup final particularly was a game that, you know, your bloods are just stuck up there. And that's obviously that adrenaline and it's like your body's under stress. So your blood sugars are just spiking and spiking. And for anybody who doesn't have diabetes, they don't have to worry about that because their body is obviously going to naturally secrete insulin to counteract it. But what sort of difference did you notice with your performance on that day? So you were saying you were up at 15, which would be well over the 200s for American listeners. What difference in your performance did you notice? I just lacked energy. My dad, who has watched me obviously since I was a kid, he always says I look a yard slower, um, literally to the ball, to react. And in a game like that, where it's small margins, if you're a yard slower than you normally are, and then probably a yard slower than probably most of the players on the pitch, you're just a shadow. And for me, I'm just going through the motions in that game. I, I can't. I can't take people on. I, I get the ball at my feet and I just want to get rid of it because I know there's not the energy and the sparkle that I sometimes will normally have to to be aggressive and get on the ball and, and want to make things happen. In that game, I'm just getting it and I'm chipping it over the back line and, and trying to play it in behind for the forwards every time I get it or I'm playing it inside to my centre midfielders because I haven't got the, the energy. I feel like I'm treading water and I can't, I can't really go after the fullback. And I'm just, I'm not enjoying it either. You know, you were in a, one of the biggest games I've played in on a football pitch for a while and and I can't enjoy it, which is, you know, really sad. But actually mentally, there's so much in preparation and thing, that's what I've learned a lot in the last few years because there's a really great example where it's gone in the other direction where I got the mental battle correct for a cup final and went on and scored five in the cup final and we won nine, six in a futsal um, <laughs> conference cup final. So there's the really good examples of how stress and if you manage it stress well for the performance side of sport and then if you don't manage it well, how it plays a part. And then I loved this. I enjoyed this futsal sort of that futsal experience. It was amazing. The cup final went incredibly well. And then you've got this other one, which is such a negative memory for me, which I should have loved and should have enjoyed because I couldn't get the, the, the mental battle right to help manage my blood glucose levels on the day because all of that preparation that we've talked about goes out of the window when you throw in the, the, the mental um, preparation that I didn't put in. I didn't get into my own mind and really tackle the stress of that environment and and do any visualization and look towards what could happen and how I should feel and I just let let it all get on top of me and and that was what happened it's unfortunate to think that it can have such a massive impact and particularly with that added stress it doesn't just affect you mentally that you're stressed it has a huge physical impact too because our blood sugars are just skyrocketed as you've explained is there anything you do particularly now to help manage stress compared to that last game you played where you didn't perform at your best compared to the game where you scored five goals. Yeah, so now it's really interesting. So I played away in Austria in October and I knew it was going to be on the telly in Austria. I knew it was going to be a quite big crowd. And what I try to do is add lots of context. So even just silly context to try and take some of the pressure because I'm I'm a kind of person that's probably a bit of a worrier, a bit of naturally, and I know that about myself. And maybe diabetes has made me more of a worrier than uh, than I was going to be anyway because of what it brings. But 
and then t- try and take the pressure off myself. So in the situation that I was going into, I start telling myself, well, you're just kicking a bag of air around. You know, it doesn't matter that much. And, you know, nobody's going to watch. No, you know, you'll get home and you probably won't even have a conversation about what's just happened. And by just even the things like that, just trying to sort of take some of the pressure away from my mind, um, it then allows me to just, and also telling myself, this isn't going to last forever. You've got to enjoy the moment. Take it all in your stride. Breathe it in. Enjoy it. Smile. You know, even just things like that. It helps me just take off some of the stress and the anxiety because I go into every game and I know I'll give 100%. That's not even a question. That's the that's the thing that will always go with me. It's if I play too stressed, I become a bit more robotic. There's not I'm not loose enough. And then obviously that can play into the blood glucose level. So even just telling myself um, little things about how I'm going to approach the game and, and wanting to sort of be attacking, go and be me, just enjoy it, be yourself. Those sorts of things, just they take the pressure off me and um, it's it's actually helped me play a lot better. But that is come in the last few years when CGMs allowed me to take some of the pressure off blood glucose monitoring. So it's actually freed up some of the thinking that I can then do in, in mindset to prepare me for, for bigger moments where there's not just me on the line and not just me playing. I'm playing for the national team, for example, and it's a, it's a, a bigger moment. Do you think then, I suppose, learning to deal with these massive moments where you're stressed, that's helped you with just regular day stress? One hundred percent. Yeah. When people when people talk to me about stress and and then they go, oh yeah, that was really stressful, and it was you know they drove, drove around the corner or something, and there was a cat ran in the road or you know or and it something caught you out that you didn't expect, and it was really stressful. I just sort of go and turn to myself and go. Or even if it was just a thing at work where somebody's putting a bit of pressure on you from an email, and I just sort of turn to myself and go, Phew, "Yeah, nothing will ever be as stressful <laughs> in terms of management as as obviously putting yourself in a situation where you're playing on the telly, trying to manage type one diabetes, and you're wearing your national team's jersey with the expectation that you're not going to mess up, you're going to go on there, you're going to play well, and we've got to try and win for for the country." Um, yeah, so it does help you with everyday anxieties and, and normal things. And yeah, it's made, it probably has chilled me out, to be honest, as an everyday mm. person by by having those, some of those experiences, which have, like you say, you, they would teach you, I think, to, to worry less about the day-to-day stuff. Yeah, you can, you suppose, have a better ability to just brush things off now, <laughs> you know. I, I want to finish with... Another quote from you. I really enjoyed this. I only read this today. I think it was from your Instagram. But it says, 21 years of injections, 21 years of monitoring my blood sugar and the glucose in it, 21 years of losing sleep, 21 years of counting carbs, 21 years of having my lifeline in a vial, 21 years of life-altering decisions every day, 21 years of facing the stigma which people attach to diabetes at the site of injections. But most importantly, 21 years of proving that no matter the challenge my condition poses me, I'll prove the world around me wrong. Now, I, I must have been writing well that day. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. I was reading that this morning 
And I was, I was like, Jesus, yeah, I was getting inspired to, <laughs> to manage my, my diabetes, you know, so it was great. It's stuff like that. And it's people like you, Chris, that make diabetes easier to live with. And even me personally, I've never spoken to you apart from Instagram and to connect with you now properly. It's been great. And your insight is unreal. Your analogies and, and your experience around diabetes are, are phenomenal. So I just want to finish with one more question. I like to ask this question at the end of the podcast. If you had the opportunity to thank diabetes for something, what would that be? If I was going to thank it for something, I would thank it for the drive and determination that it's given me. Um, I think without the the fuel of need, wanting to overcome something and, and not be defined by living with a medical condition, it's driven me to push myself to places I didn't know was possible and um, achieve things that I would say lots of people would love to achieve. So I'm very blessed from that perspective that it's given me um, a, a push in that direction. Good stuff. Thank you, Chris. Really appreciate you coming on. You're welcome. And anyone listening, follow Chris on social at ChrisBright1 and check out the Diabetes Football Community online. Also, it's Chris's birthday tomorrow. It's going to be airing on Chris's birthday. So happy birthday, Chris. And everybody send him a message. Wish him a big happy 30th birthday. <laughs> Can't believe it's there already. I've made it. You're old far. now. You're old. I know. I'm passing on, trying to pass on the, the wisdom now the grey hairs are coming through. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, Chris, appreciate it. I'll chat to you soon, all right? Nah, thanks very much for having me on. Take it easy.